Amen. Good morning, church. Just to let you know, this morning, right now, you are being joined by our extended family, members of the body of Christ from Belgium, Singapore, Jamaica, Trinidad, all over the U.S., Virginia, Texas, Chicago, Maryland, Florida, the Carolinas, and many other places. What a privilege. Yeah. What a privilege. We thank the Lord. And this morning, as we witnessed these precious ones being baptized in water, we know that water baptism in the Christian church has its roots in the Jewish liturgy, ritual, and tradition. It was a symbol of hope, a symbol of alignment with the covenant of God. And of course, it represented cleansing. But specifically, it was a picture of entering in again to a mother's womb and being born again, if you will. Though we know that under the law, that was impossible. It was when Jesus came to fulfill all of those shadows that he brought salvation to us. And Christian baptism, scripture says we are baptized baptized into Christ. Something specific happens. Baptized into his death, we die with him. And that water, that moment is the demonstration of that real spiritual operation. We are baptized into his resurrection. So when we come up out of the water, it's a demonstration in our hope of the truth that Jesus has abolished death. And for us, we have been delivered. So we live perpetually in hope. But water baptism is one of those symbols. And scripture also says that we were baptized into his body, the church. And so it's something very specific that indicates now we are living members of a multifaceted living body of Christ that is in the earth now that will be to come as many as are born again. We're joined literally. We're joined to all of those in the past generations who believed in the gospel and hoped towards the Lord Jesus and the resurrection. So water baptism, it's always accompanied the preaching of the gospel. And today we celebrate again the glorious forgiveness of sins and resurrection of the body that we have seen demonstrated in the lives of these through water baptism. Amen. So yesterday we had the privilege of celebrating a special event in one of the lives of our most influential families and leaders. And that is Mr. Joey Parker. Joey, if you want to stand up. Graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies from Charlotte Christian College and Theological Seminary. Joey graduated summa cum laude, the salutatorian of his class, and he received the Zondervan Academic Award for the study of theology. And so we have asked Joey to come this morning and share with us from his heart and from the word. You can see the pictures here. There's Dr. Logan conferring the decrees of the Parker family. Praise the Lord. Joey, come and share with us. We want to give honor to God, Pastor Mahesh, Pastor Bonnie, and I give honor to this great church family. 
and we I said thank you for everything that was done at the graduation yesterday. Uh, and what I'm going to do is just a recap of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the term creed is taken from the Latin word credo, and it means I believe. That in the Apostle Creed is the oldest known creed, and the, all other creeds were based on the Apostles' Creed. And uh, it was a foundation of teachings of the church. And the foundations are very important. And the Bible said in the last days will be a departure from the faith, will be a falling away. And we need the foundation of teachings of the church to avoid the falling away, uh, to avoid the, past, the uh, falling away from the faith. And uh, so the Apostles' Creed were taught by the apostles in the second century. Uh, and it was against false teachings. It were two groups during that time. It was the Doceic group and the Gnostic group. And the Doceic group claimed that Jesus didn't have no physical body, that he was just a phantom. And the uh, Gnostic group claimed that Jesus, they claimed to have a special type of knowledge that nobody had but them. And, uh, and they denied the incarnation of Jesus. And when we say incarnation, it means that Jesus became flesh. He was God in the flesh. And uh, they denied that. Uh, and we see that today. A lot of people deny that Jesus came in the flesh, but he came in the flesh. Uh, so they attacked, it was an attack on the humanity of Christ. And uh, also, the doctrine of the uh, Trinitarian teaching was taught by the Apostle Creed. The first part of it, it said, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And uh, it, uh, the Apostle Creed is our rule of faith in the scriptures. Uh, and the Father is the first person in the Godhead. And Jesus introduced the Father to us. He introduced to us the term Father. In the Old Testament, he was mostly known as God. But in a universal sense, he's God to everybody, Jesus is. But in a unique way, he is Father to us. And only those who have been born again can call him Father. And the word Father is, you know, it means the word Abba. And Abba is an affectionate way to say Father. It also means dead or even dead. You know, so we have a, per through the new birth, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And through the Father, he's our source of love. He's our source of protection. And he's our source of provision. All this comes from the Father. And uh, the Bible said, the Apostles' Creed said that God is creator of heaven and earth. He's maker of heaven and earth. So we recognize God the Father as a creator. And we can't accept evolution. Evolution is a denial. You deny the faith when you, if you believe in evolution, it's a denial of the faith. So Jesus Christ is maker of heaven and earth. And everything, he made everything, were created by God. In the next part, it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. Uh, Jesus is the personal and human name 
And the name Jesus itself means Savior. And the word Savior means one who provides salvation. And in, he provides not only salvation, salvation includes deliverance, it includes protection, and it includes, you know, perseverance. All this is in salvation. And the Bible says he came to seek and save those who were lost. And the word Christ was not a proper name, but Christ was his official title. He was called the Christ, and the word means the anointed one. And uh, as the anointed one, he functions. On earth, he functioned as a prophet. He made known the will of God. And in heaven now, he functions as a priest. And the priests in the Old Testament had a twofold function. They ministered to God and they ministered to the people. And Jesus, he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And also, he functioned as a king. He would come back as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And right now, he's our faithful high priest, and he makes an accession for us according to, the real, according to the will of God. And Jesus is the Son of God in a unique way. The King James Version says begotten, and a lot of people mistake the term begotten that he was created, but Jesus was not created. The more accurate versions use the word unique, that means that he was always God. He eternally existed as the Son of God. It was never a time when Jesus was not the Son of God. He was always the Son of God. And that's what he meant. He said, before Abraham was, he says, I am. He was not just claiming to live before Abraham, but he was claiming eternal existence for himself. So he was fully God and fully man. Uh, Jesus, another term that can be used for Jesus is the God-man. He's fully God and he's fully man. He was fully God and he was fully human. And he was correctly called the God-man. And uh, the Bible said in Colossians 2 and 9, it said, In him the fullness of deity lived in him bodily. So the fullness of the Father lived inside of him. And, uh, and Jesus came, the first thing he did, he was forgave sins. To prove that he's God is that only God forgives sins. And we see in Matthew 9 and 2, we see in Luke 7th chapter, Jesus Christ has forgiven sins. And uh, through the incarnation, in incarnation he became a man. So he was born... That means he got hungry, he got tired. He had limitations as a human. And uh, as a human, he was, uh, he died as a human. A lot of people think that he did every miracle as God. But all his miracles were did as a human, on the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's why he said, greater works and deeds should we do because he go to the Father. So he died as a man. And uh, the title Lord expresses his dominion, uh, that he's his ruler. He's not a Lord, but he's the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> so, and when the New Testament speaks of Jesus as being Lord, it meant, it's speaking of his deity, he was divine. It said, therefore God have highly exalted him 
and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And he's Lord of everyone that's been born again. And uh, when we're born again, the Holy Spirit helps us to make Jesus Lord of our lives. And the next part, it says, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, it said, when we use the term incarnation, we mean that Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a real body, a real soul, and he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's important that we understand what's happening when we say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he was born of the virgin. It was fulfillment of Genesis 3 and 15. And therefore, because he was born of a virgin, he was not born with a sin nature. And therefore, he could be our perfect sacrifice because he was not born with a sin nature. And uh, so the first purpose of the atonement, I mean, of the incarnation was for the atonement. And that word atonement means that we can be reconciled back to God. Uh, he partook of flesh and blood. That the Bible said that he might destroy the works of the enemy. Uh, he was manifested to take away our sins. And he became a ransom. The Bible and the word ransom is a payment. We were all sinners. And we were in Satan's kingdom. We were slaves to the devil. And Jesus paid the ransom through his blood. And the Bible said we have redemption through the blood and the forgiveness of sins. And therefore, we can approach the throne of grace boldly. And, uh, and he fulfilled the prophecy of Genesis 3.15. And uh, in songs that said, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bring forth a son. That's Isaiah 9 and 1. And her name should be called Emmanuel, God with us. And this will fulfill and the birth of Jesus. And his birth made it possible for us to be restored back to God, restored back to God's likeness. We lost the likeness of God in Adam, but what we lost in Adam, we gained back through Jesus Christ. And uh, it said that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, were crucified, dead, and buried. And uh, Jesus' death had a four-pole purpose. We just mentioned that death was a ransom, and that was he paid the price, the deliberate person by paying a price. When we're in the slave market, it was sold under sin. Secondly, he was a propitiation for our sins, and propitiation means that the wrath of God had to be satisfied against our sins. So Jesus was punished for our sins. He suffered our wrath on the cross, and that's the term, what propitiation means, that appeasement of wrath, God's wrath was appeased on the cross. So he made appeasement of sins for the world by his suffering and death. And another word for propitiation is the mercy seat of covering. And the mercy seat in the Old Testament, they covered the ark of God. The blood was put on the mercy seat. Uh, in the God and uh and if we read and understand the book of Hebrews, that blood of animals was a type. 
Jesus fulfilled every type. And just like it was a mercy seat in the tabernacle, it's a mercy seat in heaven. And when uh, Jesus told Mary when he first rose from the dead, the King James Version said, don't cling to me, but I'd like to give you a more accurate version. He said, don't touch me. He said, touch me not. Because I have to ascend to the Father. And the reason they couldn't touch him, and they did touch him after Jesus, you know, ascended. Because he was handled by Thomas. They put his hands. He said, I'm not. I'm flesh and bone. But in the Old Testament, the high priest had to put the blood once a year on the Day of Atonement. And the rule was that anybody that touched the high priest before he pulled the blood on the mercy seat would die. So that's why he told Mary not to touch him at that time. Because he had to ascend to heaven with the blood. And he had to put the blood on the mercy seat. And uh, so Jesus appeared in heaven with his blood. And he poured it on the mercy seat. And then he came back. And they, they, the Bible said they clung to him. They held on to him. So we see. And next is the restoration. Uh, restoration of relationship. And his death was a substitution. And the Passover is a perfect meaning of substitution. Uh, the Passover lamb, the blood, will put in a basin and will put on the side post and it will put on the top. It won't put on the bottom because we don't walk over the blood. It's sacred. So and how the blood had to be applied and how they applied the blood with the hyssop. They applied the blood. And when the deaf angel saw the blood, he passed over. In the same way, today when he see the blood, we are spared from the wrath of God. And the, uh, the way we apply the blood is a different way. The Bible says we overcome by the word of our testimony. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so we apply the blood by the word of our testimony. And uh, that's the way we apply the blood. So, and the Bible said that Jesus, uh, the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. It said that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. And that word is he became a sin offering. He walked off of our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. And uh, his resurrection will fulfillment of some types. And I just go over the brazen serpent. When Israel was murmuring and complaining in the wilderness, they were bitten by serpents. Okay. And, uh, and they cried out to Moses. And they said, whoever, God told Moses to build a serpent and put it on a pole. And whoever were bidden and looked to that serpent, they will be healed. And that serpent was a type of Christ becoming sin. He became our sin on the cross. And today, all who look to Christ can be healed. And uh, so all who look to the serpent on the pole were healed. And all who look to Jesus' death on the cross can be healed, and their sins can be forgiven. So he became the sacrifice for the whole world. And the apostle Paul the Apostle Creed says that he was dead. Uh, his death was, you know, the heretics said his death was not real. 
Uh, but the Bible says if we don't believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, our faith is in vain. And that's one of the cardinal teachings, the foundation teachings of the Bible is death, burial, and resurrection. And the Bible says he ascended into hell. And the third day he rose again from the dead. And the word for hell there, it's a lot of controversy about whether he actually ascended into hell. But if you're correct understanding the Bible, we'll prove to you that he did ascend into hell. Uh, the word there is a, in the Hebrew word is Sheol. And in the New Testament, the term haters of you. And Sheol means the place of departed spirits. And uh, that's the Hebrew term. And in the Greek, for haters, it's the place of departed spirits. So Christ descended into the underworld. He descended, and the Bible said that he made a proclamation. He proclaimed the word that uh, in uh, the New King James Version said he preached, but the word it proclaimed that in no sense of the meaning of that mean that those people that died lost had a second chance, but he made a, a proclamation. And uh, Ephesians said that first he descended into the lower parts of the earth. He descended into Sheol. And then in uh, Psalms 16:10, Peter was quoting on the day of Pentecost, that will not leave my soul in hell, nor will he see his holy one to see corruption. So these are proof that Christ did descend into hell, you know, for our sins. And he made a proclamation. And, uh, and he descended. Jesus was human, so his human spirit descended into hell. And uh, he preached to the spirits that were in prison. And Ephesians 4 and 9 says, He ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions and affirming that Jesus descended into hell. And that's why in the Apostles' Creed, it declared that Jesus descended into hell. And another thing that people confuse, they say he didn't ascend was when Jesus died, he said, Father, into my hands I commend my spirit. And what he meant there was that's the blessing that every father, every Jewish father said before they went to bed. They would say, Father, into my hands I commend my spirit. And that meant that he was back in right relationship with God. Now, he didn't descend into hell as a sinner. He descended into hell as a victor. Yeah. And uh, he didn't suffer in hell as a sinner, but he descended as a victor. And, uh, and what happens was that some people teach that he suffered as a sinner, but that's wrong teaching. But he, Satan was defeated. Every demonic power was defeated on the cross. Jesus defeated every principality, every power of darkness, every wicked spirit. The Bible says it was an open spectacle, an open parade that he led them, led captivity captive. And that was his purpose for ascending. And when it said he led captivity captive, it means two things, that he paraded the defeat of every demonic power. And during that time, the underworld was divided into two parts. And Jesus spoke about it in uh, St. Luke the 16th. I know some people would say that's a parable, but in most parables, and I'm not dogmatic about it, it's all right to be called a parable, but in most parables, no names are they. In this particular teaching, Jesus' name names. And uh, 
It was a gulf fix, a giant ditch that separated the people. And those who died lost couldn't cross over to the other side. And those who were in Abraham's bosom, they couldn't cross over. And when the Bible says he led captivity captive, everybody that had died in the old covenant, they went up. And now we can say today to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So everybody who dies today that's been born again, yeah. they automatically go in God's presence. And the, and the Bible says he ascended into heaven and he sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And the, the Bible said that God have highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. And he exercised absolute authority and dominion. And he makes intercession for us. And the Bible teaches that he's our soon coming king. And one day he'll come back and he'll rule as king of kings and lord of lords. And it says, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And that looks to the future. We don't know when Christ will come. Because the Bible said no one know the day or the hour. But we live in expectation of his coming. Uh, no one knows. The angels don't know. Only the fathers know. And uh, we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Now understand that the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment of condemnation. But a judgment of reward. Is, you know, we, we, we determine what we're done in our body, good or bad. People get frightened when it's said good or bad. But if you appear at the judgment seat of Christ, you will not be condemned. You will be rewarded. And some people will be rewarded greatly. And it says some will suffer loss of reward. Wood, hay, and stuff, but it works will burn because it will deal with the wrong motive. Motive is everything to God. The right motive is everything. And it will be a large portion of our reward. And also, he will come back to judge the nations. And the judgment of the nations are not the judgment seat of Christ. When Jesus talked about, in uh, I think it's Matthew 25, it was the judgment of the nations. Jesus was quoting a, a prophecy in Joel, the third chapter, that he will gather all nations and he will uh, judge them according to how they freed the nation of Israel. So and then it says that, that Jesus is a righteous judge. It said, the Father judges no man, but all judgment have been committed unto the Son. So we all we have to stand before Jesus Christ, and he's a righteous judge. Even at the white throne judgment, it's a thousand years later, Jesus is a judge at the white throne judgment, a righteous judge. And the Bible said, because we fear God, you know, we preach the gospel to men. And it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, some people teach that the Holy Spirit is just an influence. Uh, they call him it. But the Holy Spirit is an eternal being. He's God. He's a part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father and Son. Uh, he had the eternal nature. Uh, Hebrews 9 and 14, he's called the eternal spirit. Uh, he's omnipresent. Psalms 139, 7 through 10 said, David said, wherever he go, he couldn't escape the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. And uh, he took part in creation. 
In Genesis 1 and 2, the Holy Spirit took part in creation. And according to Job, the Spirit of God had made me. Uh, so the Holy Spirit, he uh, took part in the creation of man. Uh, got my papers mixed up. <laughs> but, uh, but in Job, it said, the Spirit of God had made me, and the breath of the Almighty, Almighty have given me life. So the Spirit of God regenerates. It's the Holy Spirit that imparts the new birth. And the Holy Spirit resurrects. The Bible teaches in Romans 8 and 11 that the Holy Spirit was the one that resurrected Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit will play a role in our resurrection. And he was a person. Personality are given to the Holy Spirit. He was called the Comforter. It means one called alongside to help. The Greek is parakletos. We get that word. One called along the side to help. So he's a person. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. And uh, so he's a person. He's a third person of the Godhead. He's fully God, just like. And when it was said that Jesus is God, that means that God is the same. God, Father, and Son is the same essence, the same substance. Each one is fully God. They cannot disagree. They fully agree with one another. There's no disagreement. And then it says the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now we use the word universal church, and we use the word universal for a reason, because some people use the term Catholic with the Roman Catholic Church. But the word here, he's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. During the time that the creed were written, and we thank God, we're grateful to the uh, Roman Catholic Church. We're not saying nothing bad about the Roman Catholic Church. A lot of great saved people in the Roman Catholic Church. But the word there is universal. Uh, the word means universal. And that's why the avoid confusion. It says the Holy Catholic Church, we use the word the universal church. And that would keep down confusion. And the universal church is... Everybody that's been born again, we'd have called out assembly. We'd have called out ones. And everywhere that people have been born again, they are part of the universe, the complete body of Christ. And now the church has a function on the earth. And we are to uh, worship and glorify God. And the Bible also said we are a kingdom of priests. That means that we are supposed in this time to perform the function of the priest and our function as a priest is just like Jesus made a sacrifice in the Old Testament they sacrificed the animals we make a sacrifice with our praise and worship with the fruit of our lips we make a sacrifice unto God and the other function of the high priest was that he ministered to the people so the high priest would go in and he would minister he would pray on behalf of the people the Bible said Jesus Christ, he's in heaven. He forever makes intercession for us according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit also makes intercession for us according to the will of God. And the next part of it is that the church is to evangelize. We are to make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, that's the Great Commission. And we to bring every member at God's will. The purpose of the fivefold ministry is that we all come to a point of maturity in Christ. 
that we won't be tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine by men. So we are members of one body, and Jesus Christ is the head of that body. And the creed said the forgiveness of sins. The word sin there means missed the mark. Everybody, Jew, Gentile, have missed the mark. No one have attained to God's standard of righteous, righteousness. The Bible said there is none righteous, not one, Romans 3 and 9. And it says, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed to all men. All men are sinners. You know, a lot of people say, well, at some point when I get ready, I'm going to get right with God. You know, if you take that attitude, you'll never be saved. Because you'll never be able to get right. We must come as sinners, non-righteous, non-just, and cry out to God for his mercy. And then he will show us, he will help us to get right through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then it says, the resurrection of the body. It's a clear teaching of scripture that we were resurrected. Paul said, if we don't believe in the resurrection, our faith is in vain. That means we need to quit preaching. We need to put our Bibles down and give it to somebody that would preach his resurrection. And I, I want you to understand one thing about the resurrection. All the cults said he was resurrected in a spirit form. But the Bible teaches a bodily resurrection. He rose bodily from the dead. His body didn't see corruption. So he rose bodily from the dead. And uh, then it says, in the life everlasting. We have everlasting life. We have assurance of faith, full assurance of faith that God would keep his word. And the last word that Apostle Creed says, amen. The word amen means let it be so. God bless you. So, Joey, let's say the Apostles' Creed together, and you can lead us. Amen. Give him a hand, church. I hope that there were things that you were reminded of today, the whole body of Scripture, of the revelation of the gospel of salvation is specified in these few short words that we decree. And for Christians today, more than ever before, every one of us need to know for certain what we believe and who we believe. And we can declare that today together through the Apostles' Creed. So Ed, if you would, if you can put it up back there. And then Joey, if you would lead us. Saints, let's decree to heaven and earth, to our own body, soul, and spirit, to all our neighbors around, to all our family and friends watching around the world, what we believe and who we believe. Are you ready? I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Father. Almighty. Almighty. Maker, of Maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ. His, only His only Son. Our Lord. Our Lord. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And sits at the right hand of God the Father 
Almighty. For when she should come, the judge, the living, and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The church universal. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. And let the church say amen. <laughs> Magna cum laude? Summa. That is awesome. Give Joy a big clap, will you? It means highest achievement or highest honors. Praise God. Praise God. Well, you should know the Apostles' Creed now. I think we said it twice today, which is good. When everything around us is, I mean, the enemy is trying to shake. That is absolutely good. We believe this. We stand together and strengthen each other too, by the way. Otherwise, the enemy will try to shake us. And our nation needs it. Washington, D.C. needs it. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the creed or whatever we want to call that, the document, is our constitution. We praise God for the freedoms we are allowed and specifically the freedom of religion, our faith, that we can believe in Jesus Christ and we can believe in the Bible. And we cannot thank God that our nation is free, that he will, our nation will not come and beat up believers and arrest them on the road. It's quite something. As I was listening to this pastor, he was a refugee from what I understand, from Eastern Europe. So he had a heavy accent. But to, I was just so encouraged. John, here is a humble believer who was raised up in communist nations, and he so appreciates the freedoms that we have via our Constitution, especially and the Word of God, that he believed in Jesus and was not going to be shaken in his beliefs. So, it's uh, encourage each other. I'm so glad to see each of you and those watching us on the World Wide Web. This is a time of challenge, a time of great events happening all around us, specifically where Israel is concerned, and especially every few years, its borders are challenged. And this is that year, one of those years and then to find that some bureaucracies in our nation are kind of shaky in support. The population, thank God, is not really, does not seem to be shaking in our love and blessing for Israel. So this is a, a unique time to affirm who we are, what we believe through the Word of God, what we uh, have in our children. We saw that in our water baptism. What a treasure. So today is a, just a great day, an encouraging day for us all. 
Hallelujah.